0: Hi, welcome to the fifth episode of my podcast. Um, my name's Kat, I'm a comic artist based in the UK and this podcast is me reading my Central American travel journals from when I was about 25 travelling through the whole of Central America. Uh, in the last episode I left the very cold mountain town of Todos Santos where I was very ill and I've just arrived at Lake Atitlan uh, which is a gorgeous, uh I think it's a... A volcanic crater this lake is in. It's surrounded by volcanoes um, and it's also surrounded by Maya communities. It's quite popular with visitors and there's a lot of language schools and things that happen there. So here we go. I could feel my health starting to return at every step with the gorgeous scenery and the weather. We caught a boat to San Pedro. The lake was really pretty with steep slopes all around and some perfect cone-shaped volcanoes. After we got off The boat, we stopped in at Nick's restaurant for some breakfast. I had a bowl of yoghurt with honey and granola and devoured it with a newfound appetite. We took a room at Posada Chetual, a large room with shared reliable hot shower for only 30 kitzalas per night. San Pedro really was cheap. We also had the use of a kitchen, so began cooking our own meals again, which was a real pleasure. On my second day in San Pedro, I had the sensation of suddenly waking up. I felt much better. Instead of dragging my sorry carcass around feeling like everything was a huge chore, I felt like I actually had some energy of my own. We ate in a restaurant and I devoured my spaghetti with joy. I remember this restaurant. My favourite food is Italian food and this was one of the only places that I'd come across in this whole nine-month trip that did a really, really good spaghetti and I think I ate there over and over again. In San Pedro, it rained every evening very heavily, but it didn't seem to matter when it was hot and sunny every morning. We inquired around the hundreds of cheap Spanish schools with their gorgeous lakeside views. Everything was better. One morning while I was taking a shower, a tiny hummingbird hovered at the window of the shower room, drinking from the beautiful red flowers there. Now this was a place I would consider staying in for a few weeks. This next section was written in Shayla which I think is a nickname for the city of Quetzaltenango um, which might be actually I don't think it's the capital um, but it's a large city in Guatemala it's Shela is its nickname which I've probably used in this journal because it's four letters rather than Quetzaltenango and this section was written on the 24th of April 2004. Well San Pedro didn't turn out to be that idyllic after all I really, really enjoyed my time there, but we both inevitably caught the San Pedro bug, which we hadn't heard of until we started at the Spanish school. We spent a good week in San Pedro just relaxing, cooking in our kitchen and inquiring around the schools. Then we paid for two weeks' tuition at the Mayab school and started on the following Monday. By some odd coincidence, our neighbours at the hotel, Spencer and Victoria, started at the same school on the same day at the same time. They were a nice English-Swedish couple who stayed at our hotel for virtually the same length of time as us and did the same sort of things as us, i.e. hang around the hotel lazily, cook in the kitchen and drink lots of tea and generally have a fairly quiet time. We didn't socialise with them outside the hotel but we chatted a bit most days and it was nice to have familiar faces around for the whole of the three-week stay in that town. The two of them were soppy over all of San Pedro's numerous but happy stray dogs, in particular the long-eared golden dog who was forever going swimming in the lake and turning up at their door completely covered in mud and mysterious purple stains. Spencer also had a good relationship with the family who ran the hotel and the shop over the road, or rather Sandy Path. Their numerous young sons were hard-working and polite and had to spend a fair bit of time working in the hotel and shop. We were forever hearing entertaining incidents between Spencer and the kids, such as when one of them sprayed Spencer with a water pistol. Spencer was outside trying to get the kid to come over to where he was standing, holding a bucket of water ready for retaliation. Venga aquí, he called. Tengo dulces para ti. (laughs) Come here, I have sweeties. When the kid popped to the loo in the hotel corridor, Spencer jammed a broom under the door handle and went round to the little high-up window in the wall where he watched the kid trying to free himself. Hola, he called paso? What happened? But he stopped short of dousing him in water and let him free instead. So anyway, we attended school for a week and spent most afternoons relaxing and doing homework. My teacher was Anna, a twenty-year-old indigenous girl who'd li- lived all her life in San Pedro. It was interesting talking to her, as it was the longest time I'd spent by far getting to know a local person during our travels. And the conversation practice also gave me a lot more confidence with the Spanish speaking. It was fascinating to ask school about her life in San Pedro and see what her interests were. A lot of the time she wanted to discuss very traditionally female topics, cooking, food, domestic arrangements, boyfriends, marriage. Many of the other female teachers at Mayab were relations of hers, cousins mainly. She talked a lot about how it was common to marry very early in indigenous communities at 15, 16 or even younger she wanted no part of this. <laughs> she, had, she had no desire to be married and living at home with her family. Her cousin of the same age had been married a couple of years already and she was, in Anna's words, always worried. She was certainly a lot less happy and carefree than Anna and looked a few years older. Oddly enough, a young boy we chatted to later on in San Marcos was also discussing early marriage. Many of the young people seemed to envy our freedom, Richard and mine. Anna too was interested in all the places we'd visited, but it made me feel very lucky as she made it clear that even something like taking a trip to the Pétain was to her extremely expensive. Also to her it was a very long way away and quite scary. She had a fear of big cities, and in particular, in quotation marks, thieves. What was a bit disappointing was that she either didn't identify herself as Mayan or she didn't want to discuss it. I am Catholic was all she would ever say in spite of wearing traditional dress and speaking Zutujil as a first language. This is a, a Maya group that live around this lake area in Guatemala. When I mentioned one time a Maya ceremony, she would only say that she saw those things as evil and un-Catholic, yet she also mentioned sacred places in the hills where people left offerings and burnt incense and she thought they were very special and beautiful places. In a way, I envied Richard being able to talk about Guatemalan history and politics and also Maya culture with his teacher Javier. But at the same time, I was fascinated to have a chance to get what I assumed to be a fairly typical young woman's perspective um, of this culture. With regards to the teaching, Anna wasn't the greatest teacher, but to me the conversation practice was the most important thing of all, so I didn't care. She was terrible at explaining the meanings of words or phrases and occasionally got things wrong, such as the genders of words, and very frequently her spelling was completely wrong. If I'd been a beginner at Spanish, I wouldn't have been very happy with her as a teacher, but as it was, I just valued the good conversation practice. And, and I went over at home with a textbook, everything we did in the class every day, so that any mistakes or confusions I could easily iron out by myself. But our neighbour Victoria at the hotel was a complete beginner and didn't get on at all well at the school. Her and Spencer did six days and then left, and she took further classes somewhere else. Another thing I liked about the school was its garden. It was an absolute pleasure to sit and stare up at the volcano or out at the lake as I worked. And the plants in the garden were gorgeous, orange and lemon trees mixed with ferns and flowers of every shape and colour. As we sat and worked beneath our thatched huts, lizards ran up and down the walls nearby, birds sang, cats and dogs wandered through, and the sun shone. There was often an old man in traditional short white trousers, embroidered with spots of different colors, working in the milpa just beyond the school. Milpa is like a a tiny bit of land that you farm. It's more like a, it's very small scale, like an allotment, I guess. It was at the school that we met an English couple who first mentioned the San Pedro bug. Apparently everyone who came through San Pedro for any length of time got sick with stomach problems. I was dubious as I'd just finished my antibiotics and was feeling great. But on the first Friday after we started school, I became really ill again. We had requested the day off to visit Santiago across the lake to see its Semana Santa celebrations. That's Easter. So Richard went off for a day trip and I stayed in bed. I was a mess. I literally drifted in and out of sleep all day without feeling bored because I was so exhausted. At one point I tried to read but I had no patience even for that and no energy either. I had a slight fever and terrible diarrhoea which caused me to get up every half hour. I sipped water ever so slowly and rehydration fluid. The next day again I stayed in bed but I felt well enough to do a sketch and some work, and do some work on Spanish. I was afraid to eat much as it usually just went straight through me so I felt pretty weak during the weekend. But eventually we went for, out for lunch in a restaurant, me being sick of the hotel room by that point, and I ate a plate of spaghetti, which seemed to go down okay. By Sunday, Monday, Richard was sick too, but he had bad cramps, and one day he had a bad fever, which was much worse than mine had been. I went to school on Monday and got through a few days by only sipping black tea in the mornings, and then trying a meal once my class was over, but Richard missed two days. One day attempting to see a doctor in the morning, but the waiting room was just too full. At the school, a new guy mentioned a lab he'd visited in Panahachel where you could be tested for more serious stomach-related illnesses. By this point Wednesday, I was feeling a lot better, but my stomach was still upset several times a day, and Richard and I took a boat over to panahachel that very afternoon to visit this lab. Unfortunately, they only saw people in the mornings, so we had to return to San Pedro and ask at the school for Thursday off. We then had to get up early in the morning, have fun getting ourselves a stool sample each and then head on over to Panahatchel again, paying the extortionate boat fees again. Typically on Thursday we were both feeling significantly better but decided to go to the lab anyway as recurring problems are common where you recover for a week and then fall ill again time after time. We hung around for three hours in the really dull town of Panahatchel, and then went back for our results. Negative for everything, they didn't think we needed any medicine at all. I guess it was just the famous San Pedro bug, but by the sounds of it we got off easily with one week's illness. Our co-students at the Mayab had been on-off sick for over a month. The return journey to San Pedro was notable for being the most painful boat ride I've ever experienced. (laughs) The choppy water meant that every few seconds we were slammed into our hard wooden benches with incredible force. We were continually lifted right off our seats into the air and then slammed back down again so painfully that I wondered if it was possible to actually break a bone in your bottom. The other tourists, dogs, indigenous families and nuns in the boat were all laughing but it was a kind of grim desperate laughter. <laughs> so illness kind of spoiled our time at the school and also our appreciation of Samana Santa. I missed the visit to Santiago and all I really saw of Samana Santa in San Pedro were the town's decorations. Big arches of poles made to look like palm trees and hung with fruit displays. I also saw two small but beautiful carpets in the streets made of flowers, sawdust, fruit and vegetables. That's something that's typical um, of this area, I think. They make these alfombras carpets in the street where it's just made of kind of flower petals and coloured sand and stuff. It's really beautiful. Kind of like a mandalas, I guess. On two nights during our stay, we climbed the steep hill into San Pedro town centre to see processions. But on both occasions, we saw nothing. The first night we went early and the procession started so late that we were defeated by our growling stomachs and had to go back to the hotel to eat. But we sat for a while outside the church where a service was in progress and the steps were crowded with people. Eventually, people began arriving with paraphernalia for the procession, including a small generator on wheels and some huge wooden football-style rattles. A young boy began swinging a censer full of incense on the steps outside the church, but we became too hungry and left, thinking that we'd see the procession the next evening. But the schedules of events again defeated us. How is it that all the locals seem to know exactly when and where to be, but it's virtually impossible for visitors to be in the right place at the right time? (laughs) I wonder... Again we climbed the hill and again we heard the dark, dramatic, dirge-like music being played in the street at top volume, but there seemed to be nothing at all happening, the town centre was almost deserted. As I was just then coming down with my illness, we returned quickly to the hotel. I loved the area where we lived in San Pedro. Near the water's edge where a narrow, sandy path led around to the Santiago dock, with the San Pedro volcano towering in the background. The path was wonderful to walk along. You passed through milpers and gardens, past banana and papaya trees, horses, huge rocks and the gardens of various language schools. In the mornings the light was incredible. It was cool but warm in the sun and birds would be singing loudly among the maize plants and flowers. When we first arrived the weather always turned bad by mid-afternoon and rained heavily but after a week this let up. We learned that there was a word for the regular afternoon wind that always sprang up, shock and usually by the afternoon the air was so hazy that you couldn't see far across the lake. Sometimes even in the mornings the haze was there. In fact, for the first week I didn't quite appreciate what was so special about Atitlan, because it was always so hazy that most of the lake and mountains were a blur. But one day, I I really remember this so clearly, one day when I'd already been there, nearly two weeks, I went to school in the morning and was stunned by how clear the day was. I hadn't noticed at first, I was just pottering about in the school waiting for my teacher, and I emerged from the building and almost dropped my coffee in amazement. The mountains were so clear that every detail, every tree and crevice was visible, and it was as if I'd put on special glasses. I could see for the first time the ring of mountains completely surrounding the lake, and for once everything was there, not hidden in mist, or a vague blue outline in the distance. I almost ran down to the end of the garden for a better look across the water. It was probably my favourite San Pedro moment. We met a few interesting people during our time there. Joe was a slightly scary but charming Texan redneck with a small bar near where we lived. He veered between expressing outrageous political views and telling very honest, touching personal stories. He was a messed up guy with a sad criminal past, but he was also a considerate, hospitable family man and host. We also met, I feel like you meet a lot of expats like this. We also met Rick in San Pedro at the Luna Azul restaurant where we went for breakfast one morning. He'd lived in London and Brighton for many years and was born in the US but considered himself to be English. He was very easy to chat to and we swapped stories of England and Brighton over breakfast. He was also an artist and was employed in painting murals on the walls of the new upstairs restaurant. I regret never seeing any of his work but after that breakfast and one evening of drinking at Joe's bar we only ever ran into each other briefly in the street. He moved back into town from the Blue Azul and started Spanish school. He seemed constantly very busy with a mixture of painting jobs, studying and living it up in the evenings. I had the opportunity to help him out with another room at the Luna Azul uh, painting, I think this was, like murals. But after three weeks in San Pedro, we were concerned about money and wanted to move on. If I'd had more funds, I definitely would have done it. But at this stage of the trip, we just wanted to hurry on through to Nicaragua and see how cheaply we could live there for a little while before the final push to Panama, and then home to England. After finishing the Spanish course, we spent the final three days in San Pedro, one day relaxing, one day hiking, and one day kayaking. I was desperate to see some more of the places around the lake, as I'd spent three weeks there and only visited Panahachel. Our hike took us out of San Pedro along the only real road around the lake, which ran along the foot of the mountains towards San Marcos. It felt great to leave San Pedro behind for a while, get some exercise and get some alternative views of the lake. We rounded a ridge just outside of San Pedro and immediately could see the town of San Juan La Laguna. We descended gently into the town in the hot sun, passing forest and coffee fields. We walked straight through the town and out again, continued along the main road towards the next settlement, San Pablo. San Juan was very small, extremely quiet compared to San Pedro. There were no tourists. The walk to San Pablo was longer. We passed the occasional worker or school kid on foot and several ridiculously overstuffed pickup taxis with people hanging on the back and they were still looking to pick up more passengers. Under a tree we rested and ate some garlic and oregano rolls. When we continued on we met a man on the road who was carrying firewood with a forehead trump line. That's a thing that people use to carry things. It's a big bag that you wear on your back and the strap goes over your forehead. Kind of interesting way to carry the weight. He stopped to warn us to be careful of muggers on this stretch of road, but we didn't feel too threatened on the road as there was always the odd vehicle or person passing by. I would have been more scared hiking off the beaten track in the hills or on the volcano path where tourists are frequently mugged if they're alone. We climbed gently up into San Pablo and paused there for a Coke. We could see San Pedro back across the lake. It was weird to see things from the opposite perspective. We'd passed a small hill, which I'd sketched from San Pedro, and up close it had seemed so different. It had a cross and a saint on top of it. In San Pablo, we were again the only tourists. None of the shops had cold drinks, they didn't have fridges, so we sat on the curb and drank some warm, cheap Coca-Cola. Indigenous kids inspected us. There was one girl with wild black hair and one who was wearing one plastic high-heeled shoe and nothing on the other foot. Across the road, two little boys in a fly-infested yard also watched us, eventually daring to yell, Hola, and then disappearing behind a wall in fits of giggles. I've put in brackets here. By the way, our hotel room in San Pedro was also fly-infested. They'd spawned in hundreds after the rain and we'd had to resort to sticky paper fly traps all over the ceiling, where trapped insects buzzed frantically and depressingly. I've also got another note in brackets um, that we saw some men working on one of the beaches of the lake, laying out great bundles of some kind of reed or stick to dry in the sun. As we drank our warm cokes, an older girl came out into the street with bundles of a bright thread, which she stretched out all the way down the street and then rapidly wound into a perfect ball. We continued on out of the town to yells of hola from all the kids and headed on to San Marcos, the hippie town. Ah, oh, San Marcos is the hippie town <laughs> I was talking about earlier. It was fun to pass through the town so rapidly, each one had its own costume variations, and we were glad to get away from tourists for a while. When we reached San Marcos, we had trouble finding the hippie area. Apart from signs for restaurants with names like stars and moon, the town seemed to be like all the other small indigenous communities. Eventually, someone pointed us down a narrow pathway, It seemed that all the hippie places were located along this one path. It was really pretty with flowers growing overhead, but it seemed a bit whimsical and (laughs) and totally unattached to the rest of the town. In San Pedro, the ugly buildings and the pretty, the touristy and the indigenous were all mixed in together in what I felt like was maybe a more real way. The locals there were unafraid to talk to the tourists and vice versa, but here it seemed that each had their own area. We popped into the famous Pyramid Meditation Centre for an overpriced cold drink. The pyramid-shaped cabins that we'd heard about turned out to be regular square cabins with pyramid roofs and triangular windows. <laughs> a group sat around talking about their chanting class. People seemed a bit starry, everyone looking at everyone else. I was reminded of what Rick had told us, that it had the reputation now of being quite an expensive place, tending to cater for rich people with drug problems or well-off spiritual types. We drank our drinks and then caught a boat back to San Pedro. Right, I'm going to leave the reading there, I think. There is still a tiny bit of Lake Atitlan left, um, but the next section in my journal was written at a different time um, and it seems like a good point to stop. Thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope you're enjoying this. As I've said before you can kind of see relevant photos and sketchbook pages from this journey if you look at my social media and my website is katrinachapman.com. K-A-T-R-I-O-N-A and Chapman C-H-A-P-M-A-N. In the next episode I'll be traveling to some new parts of Guatemala and then after that I think it's Honduras coming up.